taped an episode so it's funny this is our second one we never do this but here we are so yeah. hey uh welcome to episode red river uh podcast 96 i guess i don't know something like that so but uh mm-hmm. today today we have uh my buddy rob g back on the podcast currently on some international shit he's over in uh <laughs> paris so what's up rob bonjour hello good uh, good morning to you guys good evening for me what but, uh, is what do you what do you do what are you doing in Paris? Yes, thank you for coming back. But like, I, I I didn't even get a chance to talk to you. What are you doing in Paris? Uh, my fiance lives here, uh, and we have been separated by the pandemic and the elements for twenty one months. So after almost uh, two years apart, as soon as I was able to get vaccinated and get over here, I got over here and. Um. Yeah, and it's both our birthdays. Actually, you guys are talking to me mere hours before my birthday. So, um, and hers Happy is birthday. Yeah, thank you. And hers is a few days after me. So it just seemed reasonable for us to celebrate together. So, yeah, uh, and also things are kind. Of, I don't know if you noticed, things are a little crazy in the U.S. So, <laughs> uh, going to another country uh, is uh, is very surreal and feels. Uh, I don't know. I just like being in a place where no one knows who you are. No one gives a shit and people follow the rules. <laughs> really? So that's what you gather from there. Cause I I've never been there. So like, I, I guess, is that something that you notice now, but also w- what's some cool shit that you're doing out there? Well, I mean, look, one of, I think, you know, ironically enough, I'll bring it to Henry Rollins because he's in, in our doc, but um, I think he, I, he was quoted as saying, it might've been in one of his early books. I found it recently. It was like a page of him saying like, if you can travel the world or just get out of the country, do it because the life experiences are, are so different. And that's the, you know, my, I have a lot of family still in Argentina in South America. So when I was younger, we used to go every summer and um, yeah, I mean, I can't recommend traveling because it's, it, it's so weird because you feel like you're literally in a completely different world, like the culture, the food, the way people respond and, and react and yet we, there's so many similarities and that's kind of the beautiful thing is like, we are all the same. We all just want to eat well and, and, uh, love each other and, and, uh, try to do cool shit while we're still here. So, um, I mean, no, it's great here. Yeah. That's, that's basically like my theory too, you know, and I, I love, I, I wish I spoke the language better. That's your, <laughs> that's no, my fault though. We, uh, voulez-vous avec moi, man, come on. Ooh, la, la, <laughs> oui, oui. <laughs> Well, and by the way, I, you know, I mostly eat good food, but right downstairs from like literally at the bottom of my, my girlfriend's apartment is McDonald's. 
And I like to go for a Royale with cheese. Yeah, (laughs) That's what what it's called here. So (laughs) is, I mean, so random question, but like, it's funny you bring up McDonald's. Like, like, does it still taste like McDonald's in France? Dude, you know what? It's, uh, well, when I first got here a couple of years ago, we did both McDonald's and Burger King because she insisted that Burger King was better here. And I'm like, they're both garbage food, but they're, yeah. I like it, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on this trip, McDonald's is dope. It's way better here. And they have a much more elaborate menu. Like even their breakfast menus got like donuts and all sorts of like pastries and stuff. And I'm like, wow. Do they yeah. still sell beer in European McDonald's? I remember when I, I went in the 90s. They, uh, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I didn't get it this time, but I remember the last time I was in town, we had we did have order beer with our food. So, uh, I mean, stuff like that just makes me happy. <laughs> that you, that's an option. Did sure. you re- did you recreate the uh, Eiffel Tower thing from Superman too? No, no, not 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 on this trip. <laughs> all right, all right, maybe the next one. But um, yo, so. Uh, you have a uh, documentary coming out, and it's, yeah. I believe, the second time that you made a documentary. The first one was the Psycho one. Um, right. Man, so cool. You know, like, I wish that I had the wherewithal to do, to make a documentary, but you, you choose to do something. Uh, the subject is something that's so dear to my heart, Brian's heart, um, on mixtapes, and it's called yeah. Analog Love, man. So just, just tell me, tell everyone what it's about. Well, so as you as you mentioned, I did do a documentary called The Psycho Legacy, which I think came out in 2010. And I think what people don't realize, and I still I still I still don't realize it, is that um, these things, especially when you're doing it independently, like nobody and I know you can relate, especially with the music and the band stuff. Nobody has ever in my entire life paid me to do a creative endeavor ever like this is all. I know people think, oh my God, he made a movie. He must have made it. It's like, dude, no, I work a day job when I work and I do this on the weekends. And Psycho Legacy took me three years and I loved it because I loved the second movies. And in that moment in time, nobody had done something like that. Um, But it took the life out of me. And so if I was going to do a documentary again, my rules were, all right, it has to be something that I know I can be comfortable dying over a little because it will take my life force away. And I can't take three years because that's too much time. Uh, Analog Love took six years. So it was double. Oh, double. Uh, double the last doc. Uh, and, um, and you know, that was the thing. So Joe Madry is re- credited as writer. So it's me, my buddy Joe, and Buzz Wallach, who shot it and produced it. Technically, we took those roles, but it's all three of our movies. Like all three of us technically wrote, directed, and put it together. And Joe had written a book and made a documentary called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, which is excellent. Oh, I love great, it. great horror. It's so good. Yep. And so we had met and we were chit-chatting about doing something together. And the conversations kept leaning towards horror stuff. And I was just like, I just don't want to do another horror documentary it's just it's too much horror all the time and love the genre but it's just too much anyway long story short let me interrupt for one second what were you thinking (laughs) what was what what were you guys thinking like what what like what were you guys playing around with idea wise horror Uh, well you know what i could tell you one idea because he's putting it out as books right now and i'll give him a plug you know he he is and I know a lot of people claim to be this, but he is an authority on Stephen King. Like he has read every book, he's seen every movie, he knows who wrote what. 
So he, I think he wanted to do a, one thing he pitched me was doing uh, a film about Stephen King's adaptations. And so um, I'm going to look up the name right now. He's instead decided to make it into a book series. And the first volume just came out. And what it is, is uh, I think it's called Adapting Stephen King, Joe Madry. And what it is, is um, it's not just like, hey, he wrote Carrie and then here's the Carrie movie. He went and read like every draft of Carrie and every person that was attached to explain what ideas made it to the final version. Wow. And I think I think that's fascinating. I mean, even just in the, you know, George Romero is supposed to make the stand at one point. So there's there's so many little hidden secrets. Yeah, we, we're, we're knee deep in, in our uh, tournament on Facebook uh, with yeah. the, uh, Stephen King adaptation tournament, you know, so we're down to like the last like 10 or 11. So funny that you mentioned. Oh, wow. That. But yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go back to um, like you said. So you guys derailed from from the horror idea because you wanted to avoid it. And you go. I wanted to, not him. Uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. And and I, you know what? I can't remember the specifics. I think I, I honestly think because he's like a year or two younger than me, and I, I think uh, I know this sounds funny, but it one day we we're talking about music, and I was like, I'm a Nirvana guy, and he's like, I'm a Pearl Jam guy, and I'm like, oh, because you're a year younger than me. That, <laughs> and so we got into the Pearl Jam versus Nirvana debate, and oh, we wow. challenged each other. And we made each other mixes, the case for Nirvana and the case for Pearl Jam. The only rule was no singles. It had to be deep cuts, you know, stuff from their other from their albums that wasn't released as a single. And that just started our conversation. And again, you know, we are of the age group that remembers mixtapes and mix CDs and just what that meant to give it to a girl or to give it to a bandmate to try to turn them on to new music. And and that was something I was like, all right, I'll spend years doing that because I love, I love music. I, my defaults always go back, back and forth. Like I'll do something genre related and then yep, yep. I'll dive into something music related, you know? Same. And um, I, yeah. As, as a Nirvana guy, what are some of the songs that you put on that mix? What, what are some of the deep cuts that, that, that you blessed him with? Oh my God. Uh, hold on. Let me bring it up. Cause I, I thought, this mix was flawless. Did, 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 oh, did oh the guilt make it in there? Because that's a banger. You damn straight. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. did actually. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm just gonna pull up the case for Nirvana. And I like the case for Pearl Jam, but uh I feel like it's an unfair yeah, I feel like it's unfair yeah. because the catalogs. Yeah, but but I don't I love I love Pearl Jam's first two records. I just don't think there's things after that that are good but i don't think anything's as great as those first two records i'm with you uh okay the case for nirvana and of course they were short so breed aneurysm drain you school yep. turn around oh the guilt very ape territorial pissings son of a gun negative creep curmudgeon milk it lounge act return of the rat marigold spank through talk to me which is an unreleased um bootleg yeah yeah uh, on a plane um something in the way the bbc version where they played all heavy okay. and you know you're right as the final song solid you blessed him yeah. <laughs> you blessed him <laughs> he, I, he I, was impressed yeah well like <laughs> i always went when i talk about never mind i the second half is i i always thought that was like the brilliant side of it the first was cool but once you get to like yeah. territorial like lounge act to me like lounge act yeah is shit. like that's like yeah that baseline and but man and, and for you as well as me it sh like nirvana showed me 
how to play guitar. It was very important for that because I grew up loving metal and I was like, I can't do that. I can't play one. But once Nirvana came around, it really it's it's a cliche to say, but it's true. That's when so many local bands are like, oh, I could do this. I could play this. And and from there, like songs were born. So very cool. No, totally. I th- I'm a, I can't remember. I told, I know we did a deep dive last time I was on, so I don't remember. I told you the story, but I think the first time I tried to play guitar was because like Def Leppard pour some sugar on me was like the number one hit. And I'm like, I want to be like Def Leppard. And like, I brought a guitar home and I'm like, this doesn't sound like pour some sugar on me. <laughs> I, like I couldn't figure it out. I was like, all right, well that sucks. And then it wasn't until Nirvana came around that I figured out teen spirit. And I'm like, Oh my God, we could do this. You yep. so, yeah, it's it just it's the same effect that Ramones had a lot of on a lot of people, you know. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, and, uh, Well, because they focus like on the song too, and 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 such a such a leap too from Bleach to Nevermind, and it's just because of Butch Vig and his production. I guess he cleaned it up a little bit, and then you get to. I think Dave Grohl had a lot to add to it though. Too, you think so? Oh no, no, for sure. But I mean, as far as like yeah. the sound too, um, but then mm. you get In Utero, which I think coincidentally is the perfect balance of both. In utero is like you know like if you smash those two together but the album that i listen to the most is still incesticide i think it's incesticide yeah. has like the bangers and i love that you put son of a gun on there because i thought it was so simple but that chorus is so catchy yeah yeah it was like their rem sort of vibe yeah yeah uh so you go down the music hole and then from there you you guys make each other mixtapes and and what's the light bulb um i think um well, well, there is a funny story that we were exchanging. We were talking about somebody that we knew who had an, who's married and who had an ex that asked that an ex that was unhappy in their lives that asked this married guy for a mixtape. And our reaction was like, you don't ask a married man for a mixtape. What are you nuts? And, <laughs> and it was like, it was true. like, it was like talking about that made us like, what is that? Does anybody even remember that that is a thing? Yeah. And, and so, you know what, honestly, I, and I started naively the way that I do everything in that um, I worked at, I worked at Tower Records for many years. And then when I was in LA, I, one of the earliest jobs I had was at Amoeba and I worked there for two and a half years, something like that. So immediately in my brain uh well buzz wallach is is my producer and um camera guy and him and i had literally shot and worked on hundreds and hundreds of behind the scenes blu-ray features like we were both always hired to go shoot it the stuff that ends up on special features of of home video releases and so he was my go-to guy i pitched it to him he's a little bit younger so he's more of a mixed cd guy Um, but he just loved the concept and the idea he just said it just felt like there was there's heart to it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to make something that has a little bit of heart to it. And music always is the quickest way. And um, so I immediately knew like, okay, who could I get to? Well, there's obviously so many characters that I worked with at Amoeba. So it's like, there's at least four or five people that I could ask there. And, and I'm always of the mindset, just start. Because if you, if you keep thinking about things too much, then you talk yourself out of it. You're like, I don't have enough money whatever. It's like, dude, we have a camera. It's the weekend. And I worked at a record store. We have at least four or five people we can talk to. And for some reason, once it's a thing, once you start and it's, it's real, then you're, then you can't stop. And from there, I did exactly what I did kind of when we started Icons of Fright, my, my website from 2004, which is, well, who would I want to talk to? And so it was pretty easy. It was like, well, I love Henry Rollins. I think he'd be great. 
Uh, I have such incredible fond memories of the Muffs way back from 96, seeing them at CB's throughout the years. What so killer, I had to yeah. go well, yeah, for Kim. Like, I know, but that's such a, like, yeah, it's like amazing to see her on there. I totally forgot she was yeah. on there. So, but you know, uh, you know, and bittersweet because obviously she's no longer with us. Um, Great song, but I, I, I loved her. Uh, and I thought she was freaking hilarious uh, in the doc and in real life too. All your talking yeah, heads were great on it. And when you mentioned, not to interrupt you, but about a film with heart, I, you, you so nailed that. Because as a music fan, I, uh, you know, I get nostalgic seeing the cassettes and I'm thinking back about making mixtapes and stuff like that. But it really just, it highlights just not the music, but the, the connection of music between human beings where you have, a, you know, the daughter and the father and, and couples and, you know, people sharing these things with each other. It just really connects, you know. What we yeah, and you I was going to say, we sorry, we, we do talk through mixtapes, too. I love that That I think it was mentioned in the very beginning. So I wanted to say that it's like it, it was a way to, like, communicate. And uh, that's one thing that I truly miss about it. But sorry to interrupt. No, that's OK. And I, I mean, good. That was I mean, that was the whole point. And, and it was interesting. I mean, documentaries in general, you always have a rough idea of what you think it's going to be. And it's it never ends up like that because things end up changing. People say things that kind of make you rethink it and basically there is an entire if you could believe it there's an entire cut of this movie that existed um that didn't have the father-daughter thing between hazel and trey like just the beginning mm -hmm. and what i noticed is yeah people of our age group get it and they're nostalgic for it and they miss it and it had some heart but for some reason i i don't know something was missing it just felt like uh, not to knock other projects because I love any, I will watch any music documentary on any subject. It's just like my go-to when mm -hmm. it comes to docs. But I, I think there is another mixtape one out there somewhere. I, I, I forget the name of it, but it seemed very technical. And I was not going for technical. I was going for the emotion of it. And when we figured out like, well, you know what I should do is we should help. I should help Hazel make a mix for her dad. Um, that would, that was the heart because now a, uh, a person, a kid her age, um, will will understand it through through her eyes, um, and um, and that yeah, and that's that it made everything come together. Just like that through line of like, okay, now we get it because we're of an age group, and they get it. And and somebody had said to me early on when they saw the final version, like, you captured what it the feeling of making a mixtape rather than explaining it and telling people how to do it it's like no like i remember like and as i love anybody that watches even when i mention it to people like that this exists they will immediately tell me a mixtape story it's like it never fails like oh yeah i made a mix and they'll tell me something incredible and and that was kind of the whole reason i did it i was like oh yes this is if it gets people i mean look especially the last couple of years we've been more communication has been less <laughs> um uh, than stellar and it's like if we break things down we're all human beings with the same kinds of feelings and we need to get back to communicating with each other and i think through music is perfect so i think uh just that that wraparound story if i may call it that <laughs> definitely that uh yeah. you know it, it speaks to you as some as a creative i think that you were able to see this draft and still feel like something was missing and then you add something uh, you know, which speaks to, to your talents that you you knew something was missing and then you added something that was so fucking crucial, 
to the overall part of it. You know, obviously it's not like we're spoiling anything, but you know, once this is the through line through 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 the through the whole documentary and then you know like the way it ends up and stuff like that uh it's mm. just like really cool you know it was a really cool idea that like you you would have had a a, a documentary about mixtapes and we all would have been happy all, all your talking heads were great but you you get this like little extra part of it where it's just you and hazel <laughs> making this mixtape it's so cool like yeah and and it's funny well. she mentions one thing about uh pulling out the cds and she's like these don't have words i was like yeah i remember that because like sometimes <laughs> when you get rid of like the case you're like what the fuck is this again so it's like what band is this i don't remember <laughs> i also like her, her her shock when the realization like you you got to play these all in real time oh like, yeah, yeah it's not like it you're not dumping it on and then just putting it on a cd you're playing it through yeah <laughs> i i, I want to be respectful she she had she identifies as they now and so i want to be okay. but i'm still not good at remembering exactly when to say the pronoun so if, if she happens okay. to catch this i apologize uh hazel I, that's why i always call her by her name because then okay. that i don't i will do hazel uh, by they's name gotcha yes <laughs> Um, but no, it, it was gold. And again, it was finding like a perfect example is uh, Chris Carmina, who is the Amoeba manager. He was my Amoeba manager that I worked with. Um, you know, he was, I mean, he kept telling us all these great stories about his dad. And so it became clear that oh, yeah. obviously that his dad was his connection to music. And I don't know if we got it just right in the doc, but basically he was saying it was his dad. His dad was not a musician and making mixes was his way of expressing himself like a musician. Mm. And and then I just happened to be like, is your dad like coming to town anytime soon? And he's like, he's coming next weekend. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you have that tape he gave you? And can we shoot with you? And he's like, absolutely. And that's all in the doc now. And and it, and I mean, there's something so sweet about seeing a photo of a little baby Chris sitting on his dad's lap, and then seeing them around his table talking about mixes. So it was it was magical to find those things, and you just kind of roll with it, and you're like, yes, this is this is how we illustrate what music means to us. And it comes to life for sure. And I, I remember in particular, it's funny, yeah, the the parent angle. My mom had shit taste in music. But I remember in her Volvo, she had this one mixtape that we would listen to. Um, I was pro man, I was I must have been five, six, seven or eight, like some like super young. And that was the cassette that I always wanted to listen to because it, it was a mix of bangers. It had like 99 Luff Balloons, but like the German version or whatever. Yeah, singers that was. <laughs> it had Billy Joel's Honestly. Uh, it, it, I feel like it was the very beginning of showing me the importance of melody because everything on that cassette had just really great melodies. And uh, it was a mixtape. And I, I'll always... I never forgot that mixtape. I wish I could I find it and see the track listing because there were some songs that I remember, some songs that I don't, but definitely like that 99 Luff Balloons in particular was such a great catchy song that from that moment. Sometimes those mixtapes of our youth too, like I, I listen to the mixtape so much when I hear <laughs> I hear a song and I'm listening to the album now, I'm expecting to hear the next song on the mixtape in my head. Yeah. It's so ingrained in there. <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's funny now i the last several years i haven't done it in the last year or two because the world has fallen apart but before that when the, back in the good times uh, every year for my birthday i got really and i think it was inspired by when we started this project i would make a cd mix for everybody that i would just make like a stack of 50 and i would give it to everybody that i saw uh mm -hmm. on that day and and the way i made mixes in the last couple of years 
you know, back then it was a more individual one-on-one kind of trying to feel things out. But it, it goes back to the, the first tape that Sam was talking about is I wanted not no fluff. It had to be a catchy banger every song. <laughs> and so, so I'll send you actually on Spotify and Apple Music. I've created a bunch of playlists that tie into the movie. Um, Hazel's mix, she has two mixes. They're both on Spotify. If you just search Analog Love, you should find my account because I, I named them all Analog Love and then Hazel's mix number one. Uh, you know, the best of the nineties is one of mine, et cetera. So Hazel, um, Hazel. I go out of my way for just bangers now. <laughs> no, no. For, and Hazel, yeah. Hazel picked some really good stuff. Um, was that stuff she was familiar with that her, her dad played and stuff? Oh yeah. No, okay. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't pick anything. I, I she, uh, well, you know, her dad, as I think we mentioned in the film is a, He's a uh, he's a he's been a booking agent for many years for a lot of really big bands. I think like Death Cab for Cutie and stuff like that. Uh, so he's a booking agent, but he's also a drummer himself. He's in a band called Low Tom, which is awesome. And um, so she's grown up. Um, they've grown up with music as a huge part of their life, as we see in the kind of finale. Oh, absolutely. Uh, tying it back oh, to yeah. how young they are. That finale, yeah, for sure. It and it's like. Yeah, the song she was picking, like, I'm thinking, like, man, I love The National. I love Arcade Fire. So, like, all these things, I'm just, like, watching Hazel, like, play. And I'm just thinking, like, great taste, great taste, you know? Hazel has incredible taste. (laughs) Yes. But, I mean, sometimes we rebel from our parents, you know? Like, my my mom and dad, like, shitty, like, 70s Queens disco music. And, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, like all that Coke shit. shit You know, you know, one one gets me now is like because I have two older brothers, but they're much, much older than me. And so my oldest brother, Rudy, is a diehard Bruce Springsteen fan. And so as a teen or a kid, I just was like, ah, screw Bruce or whatever. Dude, right now at this stage of my life, I've been watching every Bruce Springsteen documentary that he puts out on every streaming service. And like he sings a song with the Killers, and I'm like tearing up. Oh, so good like, that song! Like Bruce makes sense to me now. I don't know why. It's like a funny thing about getting older. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a song. He does a song with uh, Jack Antonoff's band Bleachers. Uh, okay, man, it's so good. And like I feel like it's like all right, Bruce. Like I feel like everyone made it now to the point where like Bruce is like the guy that everyone likes, you know? Because as you get older, like those records make sense, you know? Okay. Um, but he he is just. I I was the same way. Anything that I interpreted as like older people music as a teenager, mm. uh, I didn't even like Fugazi. I was like, I'd rather listen to Minor Threat. Fuck this shit, you know. But as wow. you get old, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the, as you get- the ear matures, you know. It's it's just you know. <laughs> one day, so sometimes you're not. Your head isn't ready for something, and then yeah. one day it's like, oh, okay, I get it now, you know. No, I mean, uh, I'll always remember Minor Threat to Fugazi, uh, you know, one day hearing like the Pixies, like Trump Lamont, certain things that like finally hit your ear and you're like, fuck, I I completely get it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I also got to mention, too. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm a super Rollins fan and I take it you are, too. I mean, that must have been pretty cool being in that collection. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, you know. (laughs) And it all happened. It's it was all pretty magical uh, because oh I always yeah I've been a big fan. I've seen I've seen Rollins band before. Um, and how did that all happen? Oh, he had done a movie with a friend of mine, um, and basically I got his, I guess his assistant or manager's email, and he had just finished that movie, and so I messaged them, and 
um, what happened? And, and he was on an extended vacation to like the Amazon and wouldn't be reachable for a week. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. And so like, it was so funny, like a day later when I'm told it's going to be weeks before he even reads it. Um, he, he, uh, Heidi is who represents him. Oh, wrote me back saying, girl. yeah, yeah, yeah. Heidi wrote me back and she's like, Oh, he already wrote me back. And he's like, he can't do it because he literally just did a documentary talking about mixtapes. And I was heartbroken, but I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, look, if anything changes, I'd appreciate it. And literally like another day later, <laughs> she wrote back and she's like, actually, he thought about it and he wants you to come over and see his mixtapes <laughs> when he gets back. So I just love the idea that he's in the Amazon and thinking, <laughs> do I do it? Do I not? Like, whatever. And so, I mean, I could literally take just the footage of Rollins and release that as the movie. And yeah. Like that's when we knew we had a movie yeah. is because all of that was so good. And, and also, I mean, it, you're a diehard fan, so you tell me, but, but what surprised me is because he's a, he's a very, you know, he's, well, actually this is a funny story. When we started setting up, I, I'm sure he does this sort of thing all the time. And it's usually with people that don't know what the hell they're talking about, but Buzz is, a very technical cameraman on top of being a producer. So he absolutely knows what he's do doing. And I think, I think he just asked Buzz some sort of technical question as if like to, to test us. Mm -hmm. And Buzz just immediately was like, oh, well, I'm using this ring light and putting this up here so that we get this and this is how you're going to turn out on camera and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay. These guys know what they're doing. I'll, I'll be more serious than I guess. <laughs> um, but he, I thought I've never seen him be more vulnerable and open. I've never mm. he heard him talking about making mixes for girls. I was like, yeah. wow, like this is like, <laughs> I've never heard this side of Rollins before. It's actually kind of cool. Like, I mean, he has let, I, I was just very surprised at things that you gave us because I've never heard him that vulnerable before. Yeah, he and let you I in. That's a great thing. He let you in and it, it shows and stuff. I mean, and I, mean just... I mean, we were howling when he was talking about making breakup cassettes. And, like, that, <laughs> yeah. it, and I mean, it's not in the movie. It's, it's that parts in the movie, but he <laughs> kept going on and on. He's like, oh, it's like me, like going into the katana blades and just, uh, you know, and we we're like, oh, my God, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right, because when he mentioned, like, just in passing, I guess you kept in something where he's just like, you know, a mix for a relationship that you are, are thinking of. And I'm thinking like, oh, wow, man. you never really hear yeah. him like say this stuff. But I know that he's such a big music fan because like he did that podcast with Heidi, Heidi and Henry. Yeah. So they would yeah, always yeah. like talk like it was just very candid uh, and his like selections I guess he mentions his mom, you know, so it's like, it yeah. makes sense yeah. that you grow up with like that vast knowledge, but like, it was a trip to watch him, but it was also a trip to, for me to watch Jonah from far because you're, I'm a fan. Mm. You're a fan. I'm sure you've even covered a far song somewhere along. The I definitely way, have. Right. Yeah. I was doing yeah. Barry white the other day and like, it, it missed your, like uh, last time we played a show is, you know, just like a couple of measures and stuff. So, um, Jonah from far, man, just to explain what that band meant to you and what it meant to have them do this documentary. Uh, I mean, I love Jonah with all my heart and soul. He's a really uh, sweet and special guy. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, what was it? 98 was kind of like the peak time for Pretty Polly, my band, where we, we you and I shared a drummer for a little while there. And um, 
I mean, the, we didn't, you know, we didn't get any headway because it just was like, it was Long Island was a hardcore scene and then it was an emo scene and we didn't fit in either category, unfortunately. Um, so we kind of missed out, but the biggest high point we ever had was that there, you know, I was working at Tower Records at the time as a store artist and I was in very well, very good with the, uh, the music reps. And so Water and Solutions came out through Sony. And so when they were coming to town, I went out of my way to like, I made a giant sign of Water and Solutions for the Tower Records that we worked at. Um, I had a bunch of local bands just like give us quotes. Like I just did all this stuff. And then I asked the Sony rep, like how would it be impossible to get them to play on Long Island? Like when they swing through New York. And they're like, well, yeah, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to open for them. <laughs> it's, it's just get them to play here. I want to be the opening band. And uh, sure enough, it took a lot of finagling, but they snuck in a show. I, I think it was at Dr. Shay's. I can't remember. It's on YouTube now. Yeah, it is. It's up on YouTube. Yep. The only disappointing thing about it, and I'm sure you know the deal, Sam, because you're in a Long Island band too, was like, you know, it's on their day off. They're the headliner. And I, the deal was my band, Pretty Polly, was going to play. And then all those same bands that I got quotes from snuck onto the bill. So all of a sudden it became a Sunday matinee show with five bands instead of five bands and far. And of course we were first. So it's like, oh, well, I guess nobody's going to see us again as usual. But, and I, and I told this story because Jonah, Jonas did the interview at my apartment. Um, that's his shot at my place. And, and then a year later he came out like he does uh, uh, living room shows. So he came over and did a show for my birthday, which was pretty amazing the year after that. But I told him this before, and it was that um, I'll never forget, no matter what Pretty Polly is or what happens with us, I I saw him before the show and we chit-chatted for a while and we kind of knew, knew each other because he saw all the stuff that I did for FAR at Tower Records. And, and there were like 10, 15, 20 people tops in the venue when we started our Pretty Polly set. And he literally walked in, stood right in front of me and just headbanged through our whole set. And that was it. And like, I told him after, I was like, dude, that was like the high point. Like you were my hero yeah. Yeah. and nobody gave a shit that we were on the bill. We were the first band and you sat there and you, and you literally watched our whole set. And yeah. that would meant the world to me back then. And 20 years later, it means the world to me now. And so that. when that was one of the main reasons I asked him to be in the dock is because I've never forgotten that. And then you know, and then he was great. He, you know, again, he's done, he's done a lot for me. He gave me a ton of instrumental music to use as score. So half the score is unreleased Jonah stuff and half of it is Pilot Priest, which is an electronic artist that I love. So um, yeah, he's, he gives, he, he put a lot of heart into the doc as well. I love it. I love, I, I love, I love when that happens. And, you know, I, I, I knew that there was some sort of relationship. So I'm glad you got to tell that story. So. I, uh, no, I was going to say the film too, it, it gave me a complex a little bit because I always thought my mixtape game was fire, but I never did any artwork. People blowing me away with the artwork on these things. I just wrote it on there. My hand was smearing the ink, whatever, but maybe that's why I, I, there's so much unrequited love that I never heard back from the girls I gave it to. I should have put a picture on it, but man, yeah. people really went amazed. Did you guys put do artwork on yours? No. No. I, I dabbled, but I never I never got that as elaborate as some of the people amazing in there. And it did amaze me, too. I was like, man, I was doing this all wrong. But, <laughs> but also, I, and I think Henry says it. And I, I'm not sure I'm getting the quote right. But basically, he's like, 
like no one's gonna love your mixtape more than you yeah. <laughs> because it's like <laughs> so true no one's gonna no one's gonna think it's the best thing like you do because you think it's the best yeah. mix it's so like no one will ever get that reaction <laughs> well you'll, you'll you'll put all into it and you're picking these songs out you're doing the math so it all fits on one side this and that you give math. it to them and they but hey how'd you like that tape and like oh it's all right <laughs> you gotta do the good. <laughs> no, the, the biggest compliment someone would say to me before Google was like, yo, I'm trying to think of the name of this movie and I know that you know it or this TV show or this album. That was like, you know, that I'm sure they yeah. came to all three of us doing the same yeah. shit. <laughs> but the other highest compliment was like, yo, you gotta make me a mix. You know what I mean? Like because mm. they know they know that we were yeah. about that life to to make the mix. So speaking of mixes, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Tom Talks, which is Tom Segura. Oh yeah. And this guy was on talking about being from Long Island. I was like, oh, fuck is this and he's talking about grave diggers he's talking about pm dawn i'm like who the no. fuck is this guy I never like i can't how is he from long island i never met him um then i you know he was like a little bit older his name's christian and uh his the, his episode of the tom segura podcast was probably the best podcast episode i heard this year it's unfucking believable. The hip hop. Had you had you not heard of him before that appearance? Never. I never had. Oh my god! Yeah. I got I got to send you links to his breakdowns. Oh his yeah. Because oh my god yeah no explain, he just explain what he does with the breakdowns. Okay, so you're talking about Christian James Hand, who happens to be in my documentary as well, and and uh, so I think it was five six years ago. It was probably around the time we started the documentary. My oh sorry. It's okay. <laughs> uh, my former roommate uh, Dave Foy uh, is also a musician, and he knew Christian and said, "Hey, I'm my buddy Christian. Just started doing this live show where he breaks down music." And I'm like, "What do you mean he breaks down music? No, he's got all the elements, and he just plays them separate and puts them together, whatever." And I'm like, "And he's like, do you want to go?" And I'm like, "Sure, let's go." And the first night I saw him, he did Rush, Tom Sawyer, and I'm not a Rush fan, but man, just Tom Sawyer, amazing when you break it down and Ozzy crazy train. That was like my first show with him. And, and the thing is he, he plays everything separately, but he does it in such an entertaining, funny, poignant way that it feels like a history lesson about music. And it also makes you hear and appreciate these songs. Even if, again, like I'm not a rush fan, but Tom Sawyer, I appreciate way more after having heard all of it separated, just the drums, then the drums and bass, which he calls the engine room, which I think is kind of fun. And, um, and so he does this breakdown show. And I think it was by the second show that he's got a little bit of a British accent that slips. So he makes a lot of British references. Then he's talking about hair metal and his Trans Am and Northport and things like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I think this is a fellow Long Islander. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as soon as we talked after one of his shows, it was immediately like a cloak. Oh, you're a Long Islander, too. OK, I got you. And and we, you know, we thankfully became really good friends. He's in, just to blow your mind some more. That same birthday show where Jonah played acoustic. Christian broke down under pressure by Queen <laughs> right after Jonah played. So that was like my best birthday ever. Oh man. Uh, and that was in my apartment <laughs> with like 15 people. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he's 
he's also got an incredible insight and knowledge of music in general. And the stories are for days. It's, it's unreal. unreal. It's unreal. So every Monday here in Los in, well, I'm in Paris now, but in Los Angeles, every Monday morning, he does a live like 20 minute version of it on 95.5. Um, but it, it, as of late, uh, because he can't do a live version of it anymore, he uh, he's on Instagram under the session, uh, the session on IG. Oh yeah. And he literally breaks down a song like every night. And it's incredible. It's incredible. And some of them, some of them are like he, I was there, you know, my, my father was ill and passed away last year in October. And I was in Arizona, just stuck there. And I would look forward to in the evenings, him going live. And there was one I remember catching where he decided he was doing prints for the first time. He's breaking down. Let's, let's go crazy. And the guitarist, Wendy, jumped on the live thread and she started giving insight while he was doing it. And it was just like, it felt so special. Like, and, and that's, again, it's, it's the way music connects us is just incredible. And, and what he does is magic. And, um, and I was so ha- thankful that he did our documentary because he's one of the funniest, you know, we only screened it for one theatrical audience and it killed and in particular, True. almost everything he said killed. <laughs> he, so, um, I, in particular, so it's funny, we, you were talking about uh, pour some sugar on me, right? How yeah. these are things that you wanted to learn. When I first wanted to play music, I would, I had a guitar, but I was trying to play stuff, but I couldn't really grasp that it's five instruments or four instruments playing at the same time. Yep. In my head, I'm yeah. thinking like, well, this doesn't sound like, smashing pumpkins to me like why but one day a friend of mine played the rhythm track for me and he's like this is what you're playing when you hear it all together this is what like one person's doing this one like it was so mind-blowing to me being that oh okay so this is all i have to do then somebody plays the lead somebody bass and drums and sings so when he was doing that i was just thinking like it's such an important thing because when you look at music like that, it, it seems like you could do it. It's a, you could accomplish it. It's like, all right, so I'll play yeah. bass and you do this. So, man, what, what a trip. And the stories that he told and to see him on your uh, podcast uh, was really fucking cool, man. So well done on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll send you a link to some of his best stuff because there's, I mean, his breakdown of Beastie Boys Sabotage is incredible. <laughs> He, he did it on Tom's show. Oh, oh, that that's the song he did on Tom's show. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, there you go. So yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, and I and I think you already know because we talk regularly. But him and I uh, made some new music together because, uh, again, he's he's a saint, uh, not just uh, on air but in real life. And uh, he saw a lot of the grief I was going through, in particular because of my father and and just uh, the terrible 2020 that we all had. And um, he uh, he really pushed me to, he's like, you know, I told him I had songs and he's like, let's do that. I can do that. Like we can record in my place. I got all the equipment and we'll, we'll figure it out. And he spent a couple of months making an album with me and, and, and it was uh, very therapeutic and it's one of the best thing I've ever done by far because of him. It's the best thing. And I think you could say it because you heard it. And it's by far the best stuff I've ever done. It's really um, good. It's it's like, man, it's really hard to explain. And do you have a release date for that yet? Because it's hard to like like when I tell, it would be a lot easier for me to just like be like I'll listen to that link and stuff. But do you have an idea when you want to put it out? I have no idea, only because 
you know, analog love is top priority now. Right, and, yeah. and I, you know, this thing came out of nowhere. It wasn't meant to be anything. Um, and I also don't want to, I just don't want to upload it to Bandcamp tomorrow and without any battle plan. I want people to hear it because it's actually really good and it, it means something to me. And, um, and again, Christian recorded it. It, it was pretty, it was fascinating because if you know his show, he recorded it in the way that he does his show. I think it's his brain has been rewired now because of the breakdowns. So will I, you know, I, I'm like you, I, I have a guitar chord, you know, chords and then a melody. I'll do a guitar chord and they'd like, all right, like moving so fast. Like, okay, find like a higher octave note to play over that. I'm like, what? And you know, he's like, no, just play something higher and I'll do it. And he's like, okay, I need you to do that for 30 seconds. And I'm like, okay, and do it for 30 seconds. He's like, all right, now I need you to do this. He just kept directing me and I didn't know what the hell I was. I'm like playing all this weird shit, but then he's layering it into five layers because he already hears it. And then he plays it back and it's like this gorgeous guitar thing that sounds like there's a synthesizer there when there's not. And it's like, he's learned all these weird tricks just from what he does, including getting me to whisper sing and doing all this kind of stuff. So, it, you know, that, I think it's going to be called Pike Project. I haven't decided yet, but I think that's what the name of it is. And it's, uh, it's just 10 like pop punk songs, like the catchiest. Um, well, it's funny because you, you gave me homework uh so uh so the homework will tie into that it's basically the oh, yeah, album yeah. feels like a 90s mixtape to me yeah 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 i i t listen uh i'm a big fan of melody as everyone knows and and the 10 songs on top of the lyrical content which if anyone wants you know it's just it's it's definitely very introspective and and a lot of the things that, that you know like you you went through obviously so it's just like i feel like you feel you feel the album a lot man it's like you know like you said with your dad being sick and just the the 2020 that you know most people had you know it's like you, you really feel it in this but it's done in such a pretty way and the production i didn't know like that he had such a hand in the production um and it makes sense because it's just so well done and i can't wait for people to listen to it the first song is just like immediately like you hear it and it's so relatable you know uh but anyway so yeah let's let's do that Let, let's 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 just do our uh our, our five songs real quick here um i asked you to basically pick five songs that you would normally have picked uh to put on a mixtape back in the 90s uh i asked brian mm -hmm. to do the same thing brian chose 1993 i just chose a random assortment of songs i got oh. the assi i got the assignment wrong I got these. Yeah, maybe I told him wrong. I don't know. He, he took 93. Right? 90, 93 was a good year for me. So it worked out. It was actually harder than narrow down. Oh, I picked five from the 90s. So, yeah, and fine. I went as far as 99. So let's say my mix is 99. Okay, yeah. All right. yeah. So yeah, give, give, give me uh, your five from the 90s. All right. So so uh, I've got to go Nirvana. And again, I always try to go for like, with any mix you're trying to either do a catchy song or you're trying to do something that maybe is a b-side or a little obscure so people hear it and they're like oh what's i've never heard this but i recognize that band so uh, my go-to is always turnaround from incesticide their devo cover in fact i like opening a mix with that because it's just that kick-ass day of girl like da, 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 da. you know like oh what's this that kind of sets the tone right away um so nirvana turnaround uh another one that would always make my mixes in the 90s was Concrete Blonde's Heal It Up, which is from their album Mexican Moon, which was 93. Um, it's, I think it, it was a single for sure, but it's not one of their go-to songs, but Heal It Up is 
the best melody that I've ever heard a female singer sing in the 90s. <laughs> it's so freaking good. There's even a video on YouTube of them doing it on Jon Stewart. Because uh, John Stewart used to have an incredible show with yeah. musical guests back Sam then. Sam I Am, Quicksand. Oh yeah, they all they were Sunny Day. They were all on it. Yeah. Uh, the only problem with Heal It Up is that it it doesn't fade out. It like kind of bleeds into the next track, and I hate that because it's an abrupt ending. Um, my third song would be Fugazi Public Witness Program from In on a Kill Taker '93. It's their shortest song. It's their catchy song. I literally have ripped it off in Pretty Polly 10 times because I was like, oh, we can only write a song as good as Fugazi's public witness program. Then we'd be, then we'd be great. Uh, so I love that song. Um, this one, I had to check and make sure it came out in the 90s. It was 99, but I definitely put this on a lot of mixes, mostly CD mixes. Uh, G-Love and Special Sauce, Rodeo Clowns. Oh, I love yeah. Wow. Jack Which is basically just like Jack Johnson's entire like discography is yeah. that one song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great. I mean, and again, you want to mix it up. You don't want the same types of songs on oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one, I was going to go like electronic or Depeche Mode, but I'm like, nah, I got to go like sub pop, fuzzy pop. So I went with Sebado Skull off of Bake Sale, which is just like the perfect kind of like dare I say emo-ish song before emo is a thing. I think Lou Barlow had like the corner on emo right before yeah. uh, it happened. So Skull, uh, and I think they did a music video for that. I remember that they on did, 120 yeah. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very cool. Those are my five. Cool. Nice. Uh, Langan, give me your five that you would put in uh, you pick 93. So let's do it. From 93, yes. Must, yeah. yeah, it's funny. 93 was weird. Like the beginning of 93, it would have been all rock. It was the end of 93 way electronic and hip hop. Yeah. Very big yeah. shift for me. I wasn't like fucking with any metal at that point, but uh, I, I went with 93 and more of uh, if I was making like a, a, a chill mix, you know what I'm saying? Like for because ch I, chilling was important in 93. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I started with uh, Bjork's Come To Me from her debut album. I'm a huge Bjork fan. And yeah. uh, some Bjork, you know, I, I like more than others. I, debut's a very accessible album, but uh very laid back. I, then I went to a little bit of a deep cut. It was kind of a one hit wonder electronic song by one dove called white love. It was, if you heard it, you'd probably know it, but not know who it was. So if I was giving this to a lady, this would be my impress, you know, that I know this song, you know, that you probably didn't know who it was, but I'm trying to impress you here. Then I'm going with orbital halcyon on and on continuing in the same vibe of uh, electronic. And then I'm shifting to hip hop. I'm going uh, Tribe Called Quest, Electric Relaxation. Still, you know, a lot of production laid back. And then going to finish it off with De La Soul's Break of Dawn, Long Island Zone. My favorite song on that album. Uh, that would be my five. Amityville, Never Ran, Never Will. Um, <laughs> funny, I, ju I, ju I just got your text saying that I'm kind of low. So I I I'll fuck with the levels after I'm done. Um, bummer. Uh, all right, so I picked five songs, and um, I didn't want to go too outside of, uh, you know, because I'd be here picking, I don't know, I, I would just fuck shit up. So Portishead, <laughs> anything off of Dummy, which I related to in your documentary, <laughs> uh, anything off of Dummy in particular, I would do Pedestal, because Pedestal was very dark, uh, and just the beats on that, it just... it. Portishead Dummy was one of those records that most people never heard, but when you played it anywhere at a party or in a car, 
everyone would be like, yo, what is that? Mm. Amazing. Um, I would do Lemonheads. It's a shame about Ray was a huge, huge record for me. It taught me a lot of things about songwriting that I wanted to, you know, give off. So for me, Rudderless was a big fucking song. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I, I'm going to go Pisces Iscariot. Uh, the song Worse. Nice. Just mm. that that record in particular just had some really cool, like, random B-side songs. So were off of that. Uh, my last two, uh, Pavement, off of Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. I, I picked Gold Sounds. Uh, there was a time where I wanted to do nothing but sound like I was in the band Pavement. <laughs> It never worked, but nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. And the song that probably made it in the most mixtapes and, and the song that I listen to now, uh, anytime I hear R.E.M. Night Swimming from uh, Automatic for the People, it brings me back to being like 14 and sitting uh, in my mom's house in my bedroom. And uh, it's it's half amazing and it's half a bummer when I think of like how many years have passed you know for me sitting in that room listening to that song so th those are the songs that I would pick and that was fun cool um those are great and see that's what I love is how diverse all three of our picks were because yeah. I heard what you guys said and I was like man I, I have a song from that band for sure that I would have probably oh, picked yeah, too. yeah yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, we would have been here for three hours picking songs for sure. <laughs> Especially if I, if I would have thrown in a hip hop song, I would have been like, I don't even know what to do right now. Um, so, yeah. So, Rob, so basically the the doc, th this is going to come out on Monday, a day before uh, Analog Love comes out. Oh, so what's cool. the, um, so, yeah, what's what's the plan? Well, so uh, uh, it's being released by a distributor called Passion River that does a lot of really cool documentaries. They just they just did uh, one called Punk the Capital, which if you haven't seen it, is about the whole DC punk scene. Um, so uh, they're putting it out on August 17th and uh, digitally it'll be available for rent or buy. I believe it's on iTunes, Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube. And uh, I think that's US, Canada, and I wanna say the UK as well. Um, and then over in Australia and New Zealand, it will be on Vimeo on demand. I, th I think that's the only service we can get there. Um, and on Amazon, there is a Blu-ray, um, which I fully produced because it was important to me. We had a physical version <laughs> of a physical media documentary. Mm -hmm. So you can get the Blu-ray on Amazon. Uh, to, uh, Amoeba will also have them since so many people from Amoeba are in it. And the Blu-ray, I put some extra stuff on there. There's, I think, the completely unedited tour of henry's tapes it's like 15 minutes nice um we, we did the best bits obviously in the actual doc but if you want to just see that whole thing unedited because it's great <laughs> i do um yeah i mean it's just it was you know just talking to him and getting his his perspective and his stories about what these things meant to him so there's some cool bonus features on there for the blu-ray uh and then the other thing i think I'll, I'll mention because i think it's really cool um is uh uh, it should be next week as well when this uh, airs, but there's, I love coffee <laughs> a lot. Uh, there's a really great um, coffee company out in Los Angeles called Old Town Roasting. And they're big music lovers. They had done a limited edition uh, blend for Christian for the session at one point. And so I showed them the movie early. They loved it. Um, we're doing an analog love coffee blend this nice. week. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be, I've already tasted it. It's delicious. It's kind of dark chocolate with a little bit of citrus and tiny touch of hazelnut. It is great. It's, it's 
medium blend. And the great thing about that, other than them, like, you know, uh, making their own coffees themselves is they're very big on charities. And so in lieu of any, you know, percentage, like I just want the coffee to exist. I think having coffee while listening to a mixtape is great, but um, uh, we're, we're donating a bit uh, to um, ALS research on behalf of Kim Shattuck, because that's what she's come to, which is Lou Gehrig's disease for anybody that doesn't know. Um, so buy the coffee, you know, have, have a, take your time with it while you listen to some music and a couple of bucks is, is going to go to uh, ALS research for Kim Shattuck. So did, uh, did you bring up the movie, the chase to Henry when you saw him? Oh yeah. No, cause my, my, I'm very good friends with Adam Rifkin who directed oh, it. Oh, <laughs> that's right. You're so, right. You're totally yeah. right. I totally forgot yeah. because his career, like I followed him kind of like a little after, but he also did Detroit rock city, right? Adam Rifkin did, yes. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. I hate Kiss, yeah. but boy, do I love that movie. <laughs> it's a great, you know, it's a great so movie. And it's, it's really funny. He said this in retrospect now, but like when he got that directing gig, they're like, do you love Kiss? And he's like, sure I do. And he's like, I wasn't really that big a Kiss fan when I yeah. said the movie. I just needed a job. And it's the best. Um, well, song. the beauty of that film is like, it doesn't even have to be Kiss. It's yeah, about it like, you know, friends on a journey to go yeah. see a band they love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love it. And I'll tell you one funny Henry story because what, what I loved about almost every single person that we interviewed in this doc is including money. Mark, he, he did the same thing. Yeah. Almost every one of them was like, kind of like, Oh, so this is only going to be like 30, 45 minutes. Right. Like whatever. And then three hours later, <laughs> they just like wanted to show us more cool yeah. stuff or keep talking. Henry was definitely that way. And he was telling us, incredible acting stories because I mentioned Rifkin and we talked to Chase, but the coolest story he told us was because of I was like, wait, you were in a David Lynch movie, right? And he's like, oh yeah, Lost Highway. He's like, oh my God, let me tell you about that. <laughs> and he's like, it was so cool because he's got a tiny part where he's in a, he's like a guard in a jail cell. And I think he's just walking. I can't remember if he's walking or walking somebody, but he said the coolest thing about David Lynch is like he had just discovered the band Romstein. Nobody knew who they were yet, but Lynch was obsessed with Romstein. And so he said when he did his acting, he's like, normally you just walk from here to there and that's it. He's like, but he blasted Romstein so loud. And he's like, and it changed my body language. Like, even though that's not how it is in the movie, he wanted me to walk a certain way. And by him blasting Rammstein, it made me like on edge. So the way if, if you see him walking in the movie, just know that David Lynch was playing Rammstein in the background really loud. Wow. And that's why his performance is the way it yeah. is. So and I was weird. like, that's magical. And that sounds yeah. like a David Lynch thing to do. Yeah. So that's cool. I love stuff like yeah. that. And wow. he, uh, yeah, he was great. He was in, uh, what's that other oh, Long Island dudes movie, Joe Lynch. Um, oh, Wrong Turn 2 yeah yeah mm. man that movie yeah. i loved him in that yeah i thought that was great like i was just, you know like he was in sons of anarchy he did a lot of cool stuff and most importantly sure. he he never died i thought he never died was really good yeah very unreal. i was i was awesome. just looking that up i couldn't remember the name of it i was like if you've never seen he never died that's one of one of my favorite things he's ever done yeah mm. yeah yeah so it's uh, really cool but uh so in closing i also want to mention real quick just uh you know, just wanted to say that the movie Lucky, you know, we talked to Bria Grant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Very talented. Holy shit. Like, I, I love that yeah. movie and that 12 hour shift movie. She made a lot. Um, And you were one of the producers. And I know that uh, just recently, what was it like a DVD release or something, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, they put it out on DVD. Uh, I wish they would have done a Blu-ray, but I I don't really have control over that sort of stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I'm I'm a, I'm a snob and I want it to look as best as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, it is available on DVD and on Shutter, where you can see it in HD. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, shout out to her, Natasha, the director. Uh, and that's it, man. Yo, thank you so much for coming back. Absolutely. Thank you for taking time from your uh, Paris rendezvous. I don't know. Yes. I, I wish you all the luck with this, and I re- I hope everybody watches this film because it, it's really it's a sweet film. It's great. Thank you. I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be like a word of mouth thing where people pass it around like a mixtape. Yeah. that's my hope i feel like people will be like you have to see this thing it's really sweet so it's just what anytime i talk to whoever about you know like while i was watching it if someone texted me like oh, i'm watching this documentary on a mixtape blah, blah blah when it comes out uh everyone was just like i don't know kind of into that they're like oh shit documentary yeah. like i want to see that you know like we're we're at that age where we we want to have that connection to it like whenever someone mentions what that that documentary rewind this like we're like, right, oh, this, right. that's so good. Like, yeah. So this is the same thing. So Rob. Well, and I, and I hope, by the way, I hope, I don't know. I mean, let's see how the COVID situation, uh, you know, is in the next couple of months, oh, but yeah. I, I was really disappointed that we never got to do any sort of screenings or, or um, festivals. We were planning, we were planning to do things. And like a lot of the local record stores where we we're going, we're going to set up like mixtape boots and make it like a whole interactive thing. And so I would love to do a homecoming thing, maybe at the Cinema Arts Center eventually, sure. even yep. though the movie will be out. I think it'd be fun if we get to uh, do some sort of, I don't know, maybe a tape or vinyl, uh, what are they called? <laughs> uh, like, like just set up a shop at, at the theater and, and screen this movie. I think it would be a lot of fun for us That'd to see That would be fantastic. Yeah. So I, I hope, I hope uh, things clear up and we could do something like that because I'd love to Me come too. to Long Island and hang with you guys in person. For sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, you know, we, we have some ties to there too. I'm sure you do too. Uh, we, we showed uh, terrifier yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> terrifier and, and uh, strangers. Uh, but cool, man. Thank you. Uh, the new yeah. record is amazing. I uh, can't wait for people to listen to it and uh, we will talk very soon, Rob. Yeah, man. Thank you. Later, man.